In the name of Jesus, who is the narrow door, my dear sisters and brothers in Christ, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now there's a question. In fact, we might even say that is the question. Jesus, how many people are going to make it into heaven? And along with that question, conversely, who, who's going to end up in hell? I told you that for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at this portion in Luke's Gospel Week after week, sermon after sermon that you could label, these are the hard teachings of Jesus. And I think if you were to line up all of those side by side, this one might actually be the hardest. Some call this the the exclusivity of the gospel. Or the exclusivity of salvation. And for that reason, many people despise it. Which is sort of fascinating for me because we love all things exclusive, don't we? I mean, you want to go to the exclusive premiere, don't you? We love to brag about how we stayed at this very exclusive resort for vacation How we had to make reservations months in advance to finally get in to have dinner at this brand new exclusive restaurant. Or which of you maybe hasn't sort of with a half smirk and wink bragged to your friends because of how exclusive the school is that you send your children to? We love exclusive. But our religion... Our God, our salvation, exclusive? Do you like that? Now maybe that seems like a a very poor question to ask in this place. Pastor, we're here. We're Christians. Of course we're fine with that. Well, about a decade ago, an organization known as Pew Research Center. It's a nonpartisan fact tank organization that, that spans the country and the globe and, and sort of covers all different eras and stratospheres of culture. Asked one question, a one question survey to 3,000 American evangelical Christians. And here was the question. Is faith in Jesus the only way to be saved? And 65% of the respondents said no. It's not. And more recent statistics show that that number, that percentage, that That group of people saying no among Christians is growing. Oh, it's my religion. It's my faith. It's it's my path to heaven. But it probably isn't yours, and it doesn't have to be. Nearly 7 out of 10 Christians said 
It's not the only one. So yeah, it's an important question to ask even here, even to you. Part of what makes this teaching of Jesus, this narrow door so hard, is because you and I live in what is known as a religiously pluralistic and spiritually relativistic culture. And it becomes pretty easy to feel sorry for ourselves, doesn't it? I've heard a lot of people say this recently. This is the absolute hardest and worst time in history to be a Christian. Well, I think there were a couple people who were thrown to lions that might disagree with you, but I get it. It's challenging. It's a difficult time. And yet what you and I need to understand and realize is that this is nothing new. That this is actually the religiously pluralistic culture into which the Christian church was born. The the Roman Empire, the, the Greek culture, the Hellenistic ways, how many gods did they have? This is the culture into which the Christian church was born, grew up in, and lest we forget, it is also the culture in which the Christian church thrived thrived. What we are experiencing is nothing new. In fact, I think you can make the case that these words were just as offensive when Jesus first preached them to those people there outside of Jerusalem as they are to our postmodern ears today. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And did you Did you notice how Jesus responded? You have to get this. And you have to understand how and why this is so important. Jesus, or the the guy, wants to know about those people out there. How many of those people, Jesus, are going to make it into heaven, but Jesus refuses to engage in hypothetical theology? He wants to say, Jesus, what about them? What about those people way out there? How many of them are going to get in? And Jesus takes this theoretical question and he throws it back at the very people who are standing there in front of him. Jesus takes it from this third person, impersonal they or them, and he turns it into a second person, personal you. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, you make every effort to enter through the narrow door because, I, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. You see, Jesus will not allow us to deal with theology as an abstract. It's too important to leave out there, Jesus says. So he brings it in here and he makes it personal because it is. Do you remember the the Samaritan woman at the well? She realizes Jesus is a prophet and so she asks him this question. She says, you know, you Jews say that we have to worship God in Jerusalem at the temple, but we Samaritans say that we worship God right here on Mount Gerizim, so which is it? And do you remember how Jesus responded? 
instead of getting into some discussion on worship wars, Jesus says, go get your husband and and we'll talk. And she says, it's just me, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. You see, she wanted to get into a theological debate to avoid dealing with her own sin and her own repentance. But Jesus won't have it. He makes it personal. Because it is. And isn't that how the vast majority of our theological or religious conversations, discussions, debates, whatever you want to call them, go? I lost track of how many times in only the 13 years of my ministry that somebody has asked me the question, Pastor, but what about the people who live in that little third world country? Or live on that desert island who've never heard the gospel. What about them? And you know, I've always kind of wrestled with, well, how do I answer this? But what's screaming inside me is I want to just simply say, I want to deal with you. You're here. You have heard the gospel. Let's leave the hypotheticals and just deal with you. Or, or you get those, those impossible questions to ask, which really accomplish nothing, but make people feel smart for some reason. They, they say something like, well, can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? And again, I, I've tried to wrestle with how do you answer this and sound smart and show these people that we have an answer for it, but I, I don't know. I think the next time I get this question, I, I might just answer it the way that Martin Luther supposedly did. When he was asked that question or something similar, he, he said, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that, that he can make a hell for people who ask such questions. <laughs> you see, all of those questions try and avoid the real question, which Jesus repeatedly asks and comes back to in his preaching. He does it with the crowds. He does it with his own disciples. Jesus will teach and then people will say, but what about them? And what, 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 what do they do? And Jesus just constantly has to say, but what about you? What about you? You see, we'd rather deal with theology as an abstract because it avoids ever having to address ourselves. But Jesus won't let us. And he wouldn't let this man who asked him this question either. Jesus said, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and taught in our, you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And if it wasn't hard enough, Jesus kicks it up a notch. Jesus says not only is the door narrow, but it's also closing. There will be a day when this narrow door is shut. And that can be a rather terrifying thought. Because narrow means not very many people get in. Closed means no one gets in. 
And that day, friends, is coming. It comes for each individual person when you die and are judged. The Lord will make His judgment and the door will be closed. And that's final. Ultimately, this will happen on the last day. This is what we just confessed about Jesus in the Creed. He shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And for many that day will be a dreadful one. And sadly, when people hear that the door to salvation is narrow and closing, they want nothing to do with it and nothing to do with God. But think about what that means. If the door to heaven is closing, if the door to heaven will one day be closed, that means that it's open today. That is why the Bible repeatedly refers to today as the day of salvation. Because the door of salvation is open today. Rejoice in that, brothers and sisters. It's open for you. It's open for your family. It's open for your friends because it's open for all. And Jesus says because it's open, forget all of the theoretical and the hypothetical. The door to heaven, the door to salvation is open for you today. Deal with it. We hear Jesus say the door is narrow. And I think some people move beyond the door and think that means then that that heaven itself will be small and lonely and empty. Or it's some exclusive club. And we're terrified that our names aren't going to be on the list. But notice, though the door is narrow, the way in is exclusive. Did you hear what it's like on the inside? Jesus said there will be weeping there on the outside. And gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. But on the inside, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. People will come from all over because there's plenty of room on the inside. There's that phrase that repeatedly comes up in the book of Revelation. When John looks out at heaven, what does he see? He sees people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And I think that might even include that third world country or that deserted island somewhere. There are tables set up with your names on it where you will take your place in the feast of the kingdom of God. You see, the door is narrow, but not because there isn't enough room on the inside. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told about the wedding banquet? And all the people that the the master invited all rejected him? So, So he sends out the servants to invite the people in the streets and out in the fields, and out on the outskirts of town. And remember, he has to keep sending them again and again, because what do they say? There's more room. It's still not full. Keep bringing in more people. There's always more room in the Lord's kingdom. And here's the final point that Jesus makes. 
that the people who get in are always a surprise. The people who we think will get in do not. They're on the outside. And the people we assume won't get in do. This is really the warning of the text. The, there are those who assume that they will be sitting at the table, assume they have their place, and you can tell who Jesus is sort of referring to in his context, right? He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about those people who thought that they had done enough, had lived a more than good enough life, so that their entrance into heaven was something that they had earned, something that they had deserved. They've got their spot locked in. Those are actually the ones, Jesus says, who think they're getting in based on their own self-righteousness, who assume they have a seat at the feast, and yet, Jesus says, they will be sorely disappointed. And then there will be those who make it on the inside, who do have a seat, who will spend an eternity in God's kingdom, and no one will have expected it, including themselves. These are the sinners, the Gentiles, those who come from north and south and east and west, those who know they're not good enough, those who know they are far too sinful for God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and the first who will be last. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, what is it that will get me in? What is it that will lead me to salvation? What earns for you a spot at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Well, what did the people there who were listening to Jesus think? That, that being a descendant of Abraham, that, that being a Jew, that having met Jesus or heard him preach that one time, or even sitting and having a meal with him would be enough? That by being some sort of superior religious person, by being a Pharisee, would get them in? Jesus says none of those things will do it. If you trust in yourself or in your own goodness, you will be surprised on the day of judgment when you are on the outside looking in. Jesus said the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And so the kingdom of God is for sick people. People who know and see their own sin, who know their failures and their unworthiness and their inability to save themselves. The kingdom of God is filled with people who not only know their sin, but also know their Savior. Those who trust in the mercy and goodness of Christ. And that is the narrow door. This is why it's exclusive. So I want to close this morning by explaining to you that exclusivity. Because a lot of people, and maybe you have at one point, maybe you still do, a lot of people when they hear this exclusive claims of Christianity and our salvation, they mistake it for arrogance. Oh, you Christians, you're so arrogant. You think you're the only ones who are right. You think you're the only ones who know how to get into some eternal life. 
And to avoid that label, doesn't it become very tempting to sort of identify, at least for a while, with some of those 65 percenters who say that, oh, I'm sure there's plenty of ways to get into heaven. And so if you're ever tempted to think that, or you get into a conversation, I want you to have some answers for why this gospel, why this salvation is so exclusive. Three reasons. But just so that we're all clear, this picture of the narrow door is not the only place in Scripture that highlights the exclusivity of salvation. You know this, right? The entirety of Scripture teaches this message. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, says salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Then there's the first and the most important commandment. You shall have no other gods and probably most clear of all. Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the narrow door. That is the exclusivity of the gospel. And there's no getting around it. There's no softening it. If you're a Christian, that's your confession because that's Jesus' teaching. There are no other options. Jesus is not just a way. He is the way. He is not just a truth. He is the truth. He is not just a life. He is the life. The gospel is exclusive and we must never apologize or shy away from saying so. And so I want to give you three reasons why that is. The gospel is exclusive. Salvation is exclusive because one, it is historical reality, not a future possibility. Two, because it is a person, not a process. And three, the gospel is exclusive because it is a gift, not an achievement. First, the gospel is exclusive because it is a historical reality, not a future possibility. The future has a lot of possibilities. This is why we are simultaneously excited about the future and at the same time terrified. Because think of all the different ways it could go. But the past is done. There's only one way it could have gone because it is the way that it went. And so there are a lot of options that you could have for dinner tonight, but there's only one thing you had for breakfast this morning. And you see, here's the point. If salvation were simply a future possibility, I suppose there could be a bunch of ways for it to go down. But your salvation is not a future possibility. It's a historical reality. It's a thing of the past. It happened. It's an accomplished event in history, specifically the history of the life, death, and three-day-later resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is how God chose to save you. It's a historical reality. It's singular and exclusive. That is the only way it can be done because that is the only way it was done. Second, the gospel is exclusive. Salvation is exclusive because it is a person, not a process. Think about it. If your salvation was a system, something that God gave you that you just kind of had to follow along, 
then maybe we could say there was a lot of different ways that that process could be carried out. This is why a lot of people say things like, well, you know, there's a lot of different paths, but we're all headed to the same destination. Because everybody wants to picture eternal life, heaven, or whatever you think it is, as getting to the top of a mountain. And if you've ever done any mountain hiking, you know, well, there's a ton of different ways to get up there. You could take this way, which is the shortest and easiest way, or you could take this way, which is the most direct but most difficult, or you could take a third way still, where you just kind of meander through and go as you get there. However you get to the top is fine, but just keep climbing. But salvation is not found in a process. It's not a system. It's found in no one else but Jesus. So the exclusivity is married to the individuality of Jesus. It's based on a person, not a process. And there is no one else like Jesus. Jesus alone, who is true God. Jesus alone, who then became true man. Jesus alone, who is sacrificed and substitute for sinners. Jesus alone, who is risen from the dead and lives and rules eternally at God the Father's right hand. And because salvation is found in the person of Jesus alone and not a process, it is and must be exclusive. Because there's only one Jesus. Finally, Salvation is exclusive because it is a gift, not an achievement. St. Paul says, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, if salvation was based on our achievement, then there could be any number of ways to achieve it. But when it comes to what we actually have achieved with our lives, this is what Scripture says, the wages what you and I have worked for, what we have earned, the wages of sin is death. That's what we've achieved. That's our accomplishment. But the very next verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus achieved. That's what he accomplished. Not for himself, but for you. And that is what God has now gifted to you in his wisdom and mercy and compassion and grace through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is exclusive not because we're arrogant, but because it is historical, because it is a person, and because it is a gift. And because of that, it has to be exclusive. The door must be narrow. But understand what that means, friends. I heard it put this way once, that the door to heaven is as narrow and as wide as the cross. The cross is narrow. That's why Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. The word that Jesus uses there for make every effort is where we get our word agonize from. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the only way to be saved. And that means that I have to abandon all hope that I could ever save myself. And why that is agonizing is because Jesus says, you know what that feels like? To abandon all hope in saving yourself, it's like dying. It's dying to yourself. That's agonizing. 
but the door is also as wide as the cross. And think about what that means. One of the highlights of my every day is when I, I get home and I walk in the door and all three of my kids come sprinting around the corner screaming, Daddy! And I get down and I open up my arms and I fit all three of them in. And I cherish that because I know that the day is soon coming when I won't be able to get my arms around all three of them at once. Look at that man on the cross. And when you see those arms outstretched, those arms are big enough, they are outstretched far enough, not just to wrap around my three kids, but to wrap around you, to wrap around your kids, to wrap around your family, to wrap around the entire world. Because God so loved the world that He gave Him. That whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Because that is the narrow door. It's exclusive. It's a hard teaching. But it means that Jesus has done everything necessary for anyone and everyone to be saved. You, everyone you love, everyone you could ever meet, his arms are big enough for all. Thanks be to God. Amen.